Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek, starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Kapla! I went with the Klingon one this time, even though uh, there's no Klingons yet. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so what episode are we reviewing today, Kevin? Yeah, we're talking about uh, episode six of season one called Mud's Women today. To uh, to change things up a bit, I've got a question for you this time. Ooh, I like it. What you got? All right. So if you lived in the original series era outside of Starfleet, what job do you think you would work? Ooh, that's and a good why? question. Because most of the, well, I guess we see jobs outside of Starfleet, but we're mostly focused on, uh, you know, if you want to be a ship captain or an engineer or be a security officer. So outside of Starfleet, what would you do? I think, so to me, it would depend if, if I'm going to be a part of like a well-established civilization or, you know, fleeing a dying planet and then you're just kind of running solo. If I'm part of a, a, a well-established civilization, high tech and stuff like that, you know, planet Vulcan or something that's, you know, but not Starfleet. Uh, I think I would want to be a ship designer. I think that'd be pretty cool. Ooh. An engineer, you know, making the latest, latest, greatest model of ships. Uh, but if I'm just solo amongst the stars and trying to find a way to survive, I think a data trader would be a a valuable skill or position. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You would go from civilization to civilization or meet other travelers and stuff and trade with them uh, like prints on technology. You could trade technology as well, but you teach them how to make a Starfleet transporter and they teach you how to make their new antimatter replicators or whatever uh so you you know just trade technology and then from place to place you profit from it as you go so that'd be kind of cool i'm glad you clarified that because at first when you said uh data trader i thought you were talking not about the character data but <laughs> i thought you were talking about being more <laughs> of like a an information broker like uh a cd kind of you know underworld oh, you. type i'm like ah, that would be that would be kind of cool in the in the, in the future <laughs> in star trek's I'm version of the future I mean, some of the data could be weapons and, you know, I don't know, uh, bio, biochemical weapons or something like that, but hopefully not. Preferably keep it clean to stuff that helps all the civilizations, but depends yeah. on how needy you get, you know. I'm sure the, the stellar governments and the Federation types would uh, have a lot of regulations on stuff like that. Yeah. Depending probably. on where in, the, where in the galaxy you are. Yeah. And what about you? What would you do? So... I've got a, it's kind of a two for answer, but I think they go to each other with each other pretty well. I would want to be either a chef or a bartender. And mm. I say this thinking of like Guinan in Next Generation or Quark in, uh, in Deep Space Nine, mm. being the kind of person that gets to hear all the stories of people that are coming in. I'd want to be out on the fringes of the galaxy somewhere, or the fringes of known space somewhere, somewhere that's like a, just an outpost for people to to pass through on their way out to uncharted space and hear their stories on their way back and just all the fascinating stories and stuff of everybody that has done stuff that I would probably want to do but not have the guts to do myself. <laughs> yeah, and that that seems like fun. It seems like it'd be safe because, you know, everybody needs food, everybody wants somewhere to rest. So it's like the, you know, don't shoot the messenger kind of thing. Nobody really is trying to, you know, people fight in a bar, but they're not there to attack the bartender or, you know, destroy the bar. Everybody enjoys those kind of amenities. So, you'd generally be kind of protected by the community around you. So, that'd be kind of cool. 
Yeah, and getting to sample the cuisine of different cultures would also be very cool because I like doing that in real life. Mm, add some yeah. Talaxian spices. I like it. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's get into our recap and review. We're talking season one, episode six, Mud's Women. Um, let's begin. So we start on the bridge uh, in pursuit of a small cargo vessel, which the Enterprise chases into a starfield. Uh, or sorry, not a starfield, asteroid field. The vessel that's in the asteroid field is small. It's taking damage. It's going to get destroyed if they don't do something. So Enterprise extends their shields to protect it. It doesn't seem like it's going to last for long, uh, and it does take a lot of energy from the Enterprise. In this scene, they mention that they use lithium crystals. Did that seem kind of odd to you? Yeah, it, I, th- I think it's one of those things like we've talked about before, is before they really had the lore set, and they just wanted to use something that was something that was recognizable to the audience. Because mm-hmm. what in the world is dilithium? We don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so after this, we notice uh, they mention also that they have battery power that they can supplement so they can keep the ship running off battery power after that. And I don't think that's in any other Star Trek. Have you heard of battery power before on the ships? No, I was kind of, I just, whenever I hear those kind of things that don't really compute with me for the first, you know, season or two of the original series, I just kind of chalk it up to the same thing. that They just haven't really fleshed out the the universe yet. But yeah, it's the only time that I can recall hearing that. I like to do what they do and I make up science in between it. <laughs> so, my thought is, okay, this is lithium crystals. This isn't dilithium. This isn't the, the higher echelon of technology. So, with lithium crystals, they're still using electricity, which instead of plasma energy. So, with electricity flowing through the circuits of the ship, they're able to use battery power backup. But in future iterations, when they use dilithium, probably much more efficient uh, and using plasma energy, they can't store it in a battery. So, that was my kind of scientific uh, estimation of how this could be. That makes sense. I was picturing like giant lithium batteries, like batteries that we're (laughs) used to here, but like instead of a D, it'd be like a triple Z. (laughs) Got a couple Tesla batteries on the back of the ship. (laughs) Exactly. I like it. Okay. So, after this, we go to the transporter room. We see that they're attempting to beam the crew off of that ship before it's destroyed. When they do, they beam one man by himself first, and he looks kind of funny. He calls himself Leo Walsh. Uh, he looks to me, like I noted here, a pirate hippie. What do you think? I was thinking a swashbuckler, but yeah, a pirate hippie <laughs> I think is a lot better. Yeah, he's got the, the fluffy sleeves, the big hat, huge buckle, the twirled uh, mustache. He's an interesting looking character. He looks like a character pulled right out of Sea of Thieves. Exactly. Gosh, I got to get back and see a thieves. The latest update. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't, I haven't finished it. Uh, so, after this, uh, shortly after, he steps off the transporter pad and three women beam on that are posing like models. As soon as you see them, they're obviously meant to, to be all done up and look attractive. Uh, what, did you, what did you think when you first saw the ladies beamed aboard? Oh, 1960s, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I... I was fascinated by the the reactions from each of the the crew members that were there, Scotty, Bones, and Spock. And mm-hmm. you can see that Scotty and Bones are just mesmerized by them, but <laughs> Spock's just like, they're, they're just people. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but you can see on his face that he's like, what, why are they, why do they care so much about them? Right. And, and we think that's just his Vulcan higher mind or, you know, not so 
influenced by emotions, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. But I think later we find that there might be something else to that. So then we move on to the turbo lift. We see this is kind of, this I think was probably my favorite scene from the whole, the whole episode uh, where I, I note his proper name it ends up being mud, but we'll call him Walsh for now. Um, Leo Walsh is talking to uh, Spock and he, he points out right away that he realizes he's, he's Vulcan, but he doesn't even say Vulcan. He says Vulcanian, which is kind of funny. He says, you're part Vulcanian, aren't you? Uh, he says, well, then a pretty face doesn't affect you at all then, does it? That's, uh, what is it? That is not unless you want it to. So, there was a lot in that that surprised me that this makes me realize that this Leo Walsh or later Harry Mudd must have traveled the world or the, the galaxy a lot and is very well versed because he knows not only is Spock Vulcan, he calls it by the wrong name, probably just jokingly to insult him or to, to play ignorant, uh, but he knows not only is he Vulcan, but he can recognize that he's only part Vulcan. He, does, he, he can tell the difference between a Vulcan and a Vulcan slash human. So, I thought that was fascinating. And then we have to wonder why, why is it that uh, Spock is not influenced by these women the same way? And I noted, I wonder if Romulans would be affected the same way or not. Oh, I never thought about that, whether or not Romulans would be affected by that. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of, lots of dissect from that. I know, the, sorry, I just kind of rambled on with a lot. A lot no, right no, it's, it's great. Uh, <laughs> the part Vulcan thing, that is, I didn't even catch that. I just mm -hmm. glossed over that. I'm like, oh yeah, he is part Vulcan, blah, blah, blah. I just didn't even think twice about it. But yeah, are his human features that like pronounced versus other Vulcans that he could easily tell a difference. I, yeah, that's, that's kind of strange. I never thought of that. Yeah. I thought that was pretty astute for, for Walsh to recognize that. Someone who seems like a bumbling buffoon to be able to make a, a comment that's so on the nose and so correct. It's, yeah, that's, that's odd. Yeah, and so I, I wonder if Romulans would be affected uh, the same as Vulcans because I'm wondering if this effect that's being had on the guys is a matter of their their emotion and their mental, you know, uh, mental strength or fortitude or however to, um, to overcome their emotions or is it something chemical or pheromone based that would affect a species in which, you know, Romulans and Vulcans would be similar? Yeah, um, that as far as... Hit, uh, as far as Walsh saying Vulcanian, I have always thought it very strange that a Vulcan is from Vulcan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, Klingons <laughs> are not from Klingon. Humans True. are not from human. <laughs> it's, it, it just seems right to say Vulcanian. Yeah. Vulcanian. It, it, it's, it sounds more correct. Yeah, you but, think there'd be some slight... I think just when they when they created it from the beginning, they were just a little... I don't know, a little lazy and didn't want to make the names too complicated, so they just duplicated it, but See, now yeah, it should be a little I bit different. Do. And just mm -hmm. saying, oh, they haven't developed it yet. No, I, <laughs> yeah. just, I, I just choose to say that that's what he chooses to call them, because Vulcans from Vulcan sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so then we go on to the captain's quarters. We see that Kirk meets the ladies, and then Mud explains uh, when they all, you know, come in that, or at, at the time, still Leo uh, Walsh there. Uh, he explains that the ladies are his cargo, not his uh, crewmen. So, what did you think when he was saying that right out the gate, that, that they're cargo? Um, pretty much what the episode turned out to be. Um, 
I, I, I thought it was going to be like a, a prostitution ring or something, which mm-hmm. seemed a little dark for a for an original series episode. But I that's where my mind went with it. Yeah, that kind of got me worried right out the gate. Like, why would he's going to be selling these women off to somebody that does not seem like something Star Trek would would allow, at least maybe we would find it in the galaxy. But that, you know, Starfleet would stop that and free the women. Yeah, not very enlightened. Yeah, so uh, we're still there in Captain's Quarters. Mud sticks to his name, Leo Walsh, and he claims that the Captain destroyed his ship. Kirk is not going to play any games. Um, He calls Mud a liar and informs him that there's going to be a hearing regarding his actions, and then they confine Mud to his quarters. So so you think that uh, the Enterprise is responsible for uh, Leo's, for Mud's uh, ship at this point? I mean, what did Walsh whatever you want to call him right now, what did he think was going to happen when he flew into the asteroid field? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the Enterprise is going to change him. If he knows enough about Vulcans to, know, to notice one of them's a part Vulcan, he should know enough to know that his ship wouldn't be able to survive in that asteroid field if it got hit, whereas the Enterprise is better equipped with shields and stuff. What, what did he expect? Yeah, and I don't understand why he's fleeing from a ship. I mean, maybe he didn't realize that it was a um, Federation ship or Starfleet ship, and they're, they're the you know police of the the sector or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, either way, you're fleeing from them into an asteroid field. It's like you're in a high speed chase and you you know jump your car off the bridge. You're going somewhere dangerous. You know there's going to be dangerous consequences. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you don't blame the cop for <laughs> you don't yeah. say that it's the 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 cop's fault for you driving off of a bridge. Yeah, but he is a. You know, a shady dealer, so he's just trying to squeeze out whatever he can and, and turn himself as the victim. Yeah. I think is what he's doing. So then we go to the bridge and we see Sulu has to help uh, crewman Johnny to his seat because he's such in a daze from seeing these beautiful women, right? Uh, Scotty tells Spock they're down to the last dilithium crystal and it's cracked. So they also mentioned there's no more bypass option. They blew out the bypass circuits. So we realize now we're running out of energy and eventually the ship's going to start to. Uh, get get cold. We're going to lose uh, life support if we don't uh, get more lithium crystals. And so we plug see in that, some more Tesla batteries. Yeah, right? <laughs> and yeah, they do mention that they have, they have a battery supply, but it will only last so long. Right. Um, you would think though, but, I mean, you run on lithium crystals. Yeah, they are supposed to last so long or whatever, and they burnt out a bunch of them at once. But you think there would just be a better way to not allow your ship to like, practically run out of gas in space. Yeah, it seems uh, like a pretty convenient plot point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, where's AAA? C- can you call for someone to come drop off some, dili- <laughs> some, some lithium crystals? Maybe there's another space station nearby? I don't know. Uh, so, then we go to Mud's quarters where he's telling the ladies, uh, you can go ahead and, and talk to the guys, but don't let them do any uh, medical exams of you. Don't let them scan you. And then they're, they're clearly hiding something. And I noticed that just uh, an, another feature of the story, I guess, they were all in one room that when given quarters, the people that were rescued from another ship, they were all given just one quarters. And it's all, you know, Walsh's quarters that the three ladies are staying in. Doesn't that seem odd to you? Um, it didn't until you brought it up. But yes, <laughs> yes, it does. It seems very odd. It was probably a request that nobody objected to would be my guess. I would see that. Yeah. That he's because they are, 
mean, in his words, they're his property, but he wants to keep them close and protected. And they probably didn't say, you know, anything about it or something. Um, but also in my mind, the first thing is like, well, it's just another symbol of the times that the man's in charge. And he says, all these ladies are staying with me kind of thing. But yeah, it could have been, like you're saying, a request to keep them close and, and he's the only person they know. So they're trying to stay under his wing and they're all hiding something that we find out later. Yeah. In this scene, actually, one of the women accidentally slips up and calls him Harry instead of Leo. And yes. he's like, no, no, no. My name's Leo. Leo Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we go to the bridge again. We see we need a lithium. Uh, we need lithium and they decide to head to Rigel 12. There's a lithium mining colony. So they kind of have a game plan. They're going to they're gonna head there and try to, you know, deal with the guys to get some lithium crystals. We uh, we move on to Mud's hearing. I don't, I, I couldn't tell where this was. I think it's like a, uh, what do you call it? A ready room or, you know, conference room. It seems like, the, I, I think they've used this set in a couple episodes prior already. I just assume it's the ready room. Or, yeah. Like you said, a conference Yeah. So we see um, they're using a lie detector program. And it tells them right off, right off the bat that, that Leo Walsh's real name is not even Harry Mudd. He, he says, yeah, okay, okay, I'm Harry. And uh, the lie detector program says he's Heracourt Fenton Mudd. So I thought that was kind of funny. We call him Harry, but Harry's actually short for Heracourt. I've never heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it was meant to give him more of the, the kind of a, a bumbling idiot type feel. Yeah. So, uh, the lie detecting program, I guess, also reveals his criminal record for smuggling, transporting stolen goods, uh, buying a ship with fake money. And it shows that his treatment was psychiatric, he had, he had a psychiatric treatment, uh, but it also notes on there that the effectiveness was disputed. I thought that was pretty, pretty funny that they're like, yeah, he, we went through all this treatment, but we don't know if it really did anything. I thought it was really cool that even back in the sixties, they thought the future of being able to. Uh, I don't want to say punish somebody, but I guess rather instead of imprisoning him, they gave him psychiatric treatment. I thought that was really cool and is kind of telling of modern day times, but that's another story. Yeah, instead of putting the problem in a box, they actually try to solve the problem. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. In this, we also see that he got his master license, master's license revoked, which is the license you have to possess to operate a starship within Federation space. So I thought that was interesting. And that is why he was under the operating under the name, uh, Leo Walsh, supposedly by his story, uh, that that was going to be his you know, captain or, or whatever pilot of a ship, but he had died just previously before they left or something like that. So he had to assume his identity for them to go on their mission. Uh, but I wonder, is this why the captain's so skeptical of him? I mean, he, was able to look up his record pretty easily. So from the beginning, did he know all of this, that he was a smuggler and all this stuff? And that's why he doesn't trust any, anything he's saying. It just confines him to quarters. Um, or he, did he not trust him based on his uh, trying to be evasive in their ship? And all of this is just new information for the captain. Yeah, I, I figure is what you said, him being evasive in the ship, him trying to run. And mm. not get caught to begin with usually means that you've got something to hide, typically. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Mud's hearing continues. Um, his destination, we find out, was planet 
Oh God, I'm going to butcher this because I, <laughs> I don't even know how to spell it. But Ophiuchus 3 or something like that. Ophiuchus, I don't know. Uh, and his job that he's planning to do is wiving settlers. He's trying to bring these women to this settlement to be wives for some of the men there. Um, so Eve was tired of working for her brother. She kind of speaks up. She's the one wearing uh, pink, I think, pink or red. She speaks up and says she was just tired of working for her brothers and being mistreated and stuff. So she was trying to find a husband and there wasn't, you know, good candidates where she lived. So she volunteered. She wanted to go and be, you know, a wife for somebody somewhere, somewhere else and was looking for a husband. Let's see. And she mentions that the crewmen are looking on, on, on Enterprise. That the crewmen look at her like a, <laughs> a Saturnius harem girl or something. So I thought that was, I like how they use like Saturn, one of our planets in our solar system. They use, you know, those, that terminology to create something. Like we see the Orions are, you know, from Orion's belt, a constellation we can see. Uh, So I thought that was kind of funny. But do you think her speaking up and explaining that she actually did want to be wived somewhere? She, he's helping her find a new life. Do you think that justifies Mud's actions and how he went about all this? I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but it, it at least goes to show that he's not some, you know, he's not a, a space pimp, essentially. <laughs> he's not he, he's not doing anything wrong in the girl's mind. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes it so he can be this more comedic character rather than like an evil person. So it kind yeah. of sets the tone for what Mud's going to be and how his character develops. Yeah. Yeah, so this, yeah, I kind of felt like, well, he's just, he's, you know, maybe he's a shady businessman, but he's just a businessman trying to keep afloat is what it is. He's finding something he can market and, you know, as long as these ladies are willing, then this isn't a bad deal for either parties, presumably. Right. (laughs) Uh, So then we see his hearing is closed, Mud is found guilty, he's going to be handed over to the proper authorities at their earliest convenience. Uh, but at that same moment, their last lithium crystal burns out. So the ship is running completely on battery power. Mud gets kind of excited, though, because he hears Kirk mention that they're going to Rigel 12. So his, his wheels start turning right away, and he's thinking, okay, Rigel 12, rich lithium settlers or miners, uh, this is going to be a perfect setup for me to, you know, turn a quick profit. Uh, so then we go on to sickbay. Uh, we see uh, Magda as the woman in green. She's visiting with Dr. McCoy kind of flirting it up a little bit. She asks him about the health of the miners because now they know, hey, you know, there's there's some wealthy men down there on this planet we're going to. So, they're trying to scope it out and get a an idea of who they are, what they are, and make sure they're, you know, healthy and potentially good mates. The doctor ends up scanning her uh, or he doesn't scan her intentionally. She walks near his scanning equipment and it starts flashing in an odd manner, I guess. And he notes that it that it was acting kind of funny. Now, I know she probably doesn't understand this technology, but she was told clearly by, by Harry, don't let them scan you. And then she goes under this thing and it starts beeping. So, do you think that was her just being, I don't want to say ignorant, but not knowing what she was doing? Or do you think maybe she secretly kind of wants uh, somebody to realize what's going on when she walks under the scanner like that? I, I think it was definitely an accident because when he asked her to walk by it again, she does, but she's like, She's trying to distract him from what's actually happening on the on the screen to the point where he can't figure out what's going on and asks if she's wearing radioactive perfume, (laughs) which I found hilarious. 
<laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't even write that down. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's a little bit scary too, because whatever is going on with these ladies in in his mind is equates to being radioactive. Uh, that's probably not very safe. Is there such a thing in the Star Trek universe as radioactive perfume? I have to know this now. Like, yeah. I, it seems like the type of thing that Star Trek Online would have made a reference to as like a, a collectible junk item or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cause I imagine like if, if you, that would be like a, a, like a tracker, right? If you put a, put radioactive perfume in someone's, you know, bag and they end up spraying it on themselves, then you could probably track them based on that, you know, radioactive signal frequency or whatever. With the, yeah, they could also probably be tracked when they accidentally turn into, you know, the Hulk or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I like it. So after this, we see Eve is um, in Captain Kirk's quarters flirting with him a little bit, but not for too long. They get close, like they're going to kiss, but before kissing him, she falls apart and says, I just can't go through with it. I hate this whole thing. And she storms out. Uh, so... Uh, let me ask you again, what do you think was going on at that point? To me, it seemed like, you know, there was a, we obviously noticed there was a facade going on. They were, they were hiding something, uh, but what do you think, what do you think they were hiding? I, I wasn't sure. Uh, it was just pretty clear to me that the, what was her name? The one that was trying to, that was going to kiss Kirk. It mm -hmm. seems like it it was the the story's way of telling us that she would be the one to end up slipping out of all of them yeah yeah which i thought that it was pretty convenient that kirk was the person that she was kind of going for mm -hmm. while still being the one i maybe she did that intentionally knowing that she wouldn't be able to go through with you know blocking him from whatever's actually going on yeah i was worried at this point that maybe the whole testimony that she gave in their little court scene Maybe that was all fake and she's just doing what she's told out of fear or something like that. Uh, so that was like, man, that would really, that would be a little too dark though for Star Trek. So I'm hoping they're not going that far, but luckily we see it doesn't get that far. It's better than, better than I anticipated. Uh, so after this, we go back to uh, Harry's quarters and we see he's kind of scheming and plotting. The girls are gathering intel from the crewmen and coming back. Eve comes in upset after her little encounter with Kirk. And then we cut away to a bridge scene. On the bridge, we see uh, Kirk and Bones are debating how these women are able to have such a strong influence over their men. Because uh, I, I think this I think this bridge scene was just a little after they had seen... Um, well, I forget his name now. The crewman that couldn't quite walk and, and Sulu had to help him to his seat. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, they're trying to figure out, like, what is going on? How is this possible that these men are so heavily influenced by these women? But we quickly go back to uh, Mud's quarters. Uh, the women are starting to look tired and sickly. Harry is searching around in the room for some pills, and the ladies are getting kind of frustrated with him. So Harry finds these pills the ladies are asking for, and the ladies take them real quick like drugs. They, like, just can't get them in them fast enough. And they seem to transform before his eyes and and become beautiful again and healthy and vibrant and not so sickly and tired and weak. I have to ask you who is tricking who in this and can you see any long-term benefit? We see the women are taking these pills to make them more attractive or healthier overall. But, you know, do, do you think that is really 
beneficial for the women at all. Obviously, it makes their original appeal to whoever they're trying to sell the women to. I, I don't know the, yeah. the transactions that are happening here, but it makes them obviously more readily attractive to them. But no, it's it's obvious. I the more I think about the the little intricacies and the questions that I have along the way of the whole plot of taking drugs to look beautiful to sell or trade the women as wives the more i just it's like this would never work <laughs> there are so many different things that you just have to question the entire thing but uh, taking a step back from the whole thing it it's just apparent that it's one big scheme yeah I, I think also, of it like selling a car that's a lemon. You put, you know, sawdust in the engine oil or something like that so it quiets out and you sell it. But, you know, once once the settlers get these women as wives and the drugs wear off, you know, and the, the little honeymoon phase goes away, they're going to be pretty upset. And who are they going to take it out on if the seller is gone? They're going to, you know, beat their poor wives or at least mistreat them for, you know, as long as they want the rest of their marriage possibly because they felt like they got tricked. So... Yeah, really, that's it seems what, like a lose-lose. And that's what I was meaning by that, because we're led to believe that the women volunteered for this. Mm -hmm. But you would think, especially knowing how smart the, the, the main one is, the, the one that was talking to Kirk earlier. Yeah, Eve. Um, <clears throat> Eve, yeah. We, we know how smart she is. She would know that that's the case. Mm -hmm. So why would she volunteer? That's why I have to take a step back and not think about those little <laughs> details, or otherwise I'll go crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thinking about it. But there's also a point in this scene where uh, Eve says that she doesn't like Harry. She doesn't like the plan and she doesn't like Harry. Yeah. And it was before taking the drugs stuff again. But I thought that was really interesting to see how quickly it went from Eve trying to convince Kirk and the crew that everything's on the up and up to be like, no, I don't like you. I don't like the plan. And that's also when she learns that Mud's planning on stranding crew on uh, st stranding Kirk and his crew on the planet and stealing the, uh, the lithium crystals and the enterprise for himself. <laughs> yeah. So I think she's the one that really kind of, uh, builds in a underplot or a side, a, a B plot that not only is this wrong to trick people and, you know, make yourself look different or whatever, but it's, it's wrong. It's wrong for the, for the men that they're going to marry. But it's also wrong for the women to say, you're not a valuable wife unless you take these drugs to make yourself look pretty because I don't want a wife that's not pretty. Like, really, they, you know, should feel comfortable in their own skin. They should be, you know, finding husbands based on who they really are and not try to make themselves up to look like a, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like a calendar model or something like that. You know, whatever a subjective, uh, attractive person for their time would be, but. Yeah, I think that's a good thing that they're pointing out that's not okay and she's kind of resistant to that. Yeah, and I think the episode gets to that point eventually. Mm -hmm. And obviously as the audience, we're hopefully we're all thinking that the entire time <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay, so from here we move on to the brief briefing room, uh, which I'm now, now calling it. Earlier I had no idea. Uh, the, we see the lithium miners come aboard. So they, they come in, we see... Uh, Chief Childress and Mr. Grosset. So we see uh, 
Chief cuts right to the chase. He doesn't want to sit there and dilly-dally and whatnot. He offers them lithium crystals for the women and Mud's release. Kirk is kind of surprised first off because he doesn't realize that Mud had communicated with them at all, but he Mud kind of did his little sneaky stuff and worked out a deal ahead of time. But Kirk laughs and refuses. But at the same time, very good timing, their power drops to 50%. They're at you know, 50% capacity now that the batteries are so so low. Uh, so shortly after that, a landing party beams down. Uh, after this, we're on Rigel 12 at their camp. Um, the miners, the women, the landing party are all uh, spending a little time together, getting familiar. This is just kind of a, you know, we're going to, we're considering uh, letting the ladies stay here, but we need to make sure that they get along and you guys aren't, you know, uh, abusive or whatever is what I, what I imagine. This is a make sure everybody's happy with the deal before we disappear kind of thing. Uh, but Eve is right away not really interested, even though she said she wanted to be married off and stuff like that. She's still, I think, pretty upset from having to take these pills and and the whole deal that she doesn't like anymore. Uh, so she gets upset and she runs off into this magnetic storm. Uh, Kirk goes after her, but loses her and returns to the ship to scan uh, with the ship's sensors. But Childress, the chief miner, uh, he goes out into the magnetic storm and continues to search for her. So, <laughs> I know that was a lot to go over, and I'm sorry. That was a whole whole bunch. Uh, so, at this point, though, did you, do you think she's dead? What do you think's, <laughs> what do you think's gonna happen with uh, this lost woman in the middle of a magnetic storm? <laughs> I mean, once again, she's, she's supposed to be smart. We see that she is smart, and then she mm -hmm. goes and does something like this, mm -hmm. which kind of leads us to believe that she's very desperate to get away yeah i think that the the miner that went after her sensed that and mm -hmm. that's why he went after her i don't know if she at this point is dead or alive but i trust that at that point that the miner that went after her is ha has her best interest in heart at heart mm -hmm. rather than going after her for nefarious purposes yeah because really, he could have given up at that point. He was kind of trying to talk to her, flirt with her a little bit or whatever, get to know her at their little little meet and greet or whatever. And she was just standoffish, didn't really have much interest in him. And he's like, hey, I thought I was making a deal. I thought this one was gonna supposed to be my wife. But in this deal, I imagine the woman that you're offering is is interested and she obviously isn't. So, he could have just been like, yeah, this is a raw deal. You know, you, you guys are SOL. Your ship's going to crash. Too bad for you. Um, but instead he's like, yeah, he, he obviously goes the extra mile. Not, not that he's a great guy that he's, uh, breaking his back or nothing like that, but he does, uh, put an effort into trying to, to save her and potentially make a connection, which is good to see. We want to see that, you know, if these ladies stay with these miners, that it's going to hopefully be a good relationship and not just, uh, you're stranded here. So you have to do as I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, even someone who is as shady as to try to trade crystals for a wife can still have a heart, yeah. <laughs> which I think is at its core is what Star Trek's all about. Right. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is there, I mean, is there only three miners on the entire planet and is there no other way to, to meet other people? Can they not like, I don't know, have somebody come watch the station or just stop mining for a month or something like that and go Go on vacation to a nearby space station. Maybe you'll meet some some nice ladies there that want to come back and live with you. I don't know. 
we're not meant to ask these questions as the audience. True, you're right. Got to keep it, keep it in the lane. Exactly. Uh, so, all right, after all that, um, we see on the bridge that they're scanning for even the storm, but there's too much interference because it's a magnetic storm, so their sensors aren't able to pick up very much uh, readings. And then the ship's batteries drop down to only five hours. So, in five hours, they're going to lose life support and everything else and just be dead in the water until they die. Uh, at the camp on Rigel 12, uh, Childress finds Eve unconscious and gets her back to their shelter. She uh, recovers in the middle of the night and she wakes up. Uh, she makes breakfast for, her, for herself and then for uh, Childress with the chief. Uh, she cooks, she cleans a little bit, and then when he wakes up, he's kind of in a grumpy mood. I think he's just irritated in general about what's going on. Uh, but do you think that's a, a fair exchange? Pretty much she says, you know, I, he asks, why are you moving all my stuff around? She says, I ate some of your food, so I am cleaning and doing chores to help, you know, compensate you for it, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, she could tell that he wanted to help her, and so she's kind of doing something to pay him back of sorts. I, I really like the conversation that takes place immediately after this, when he says that he didn't lay a hand on her. And her mm -hmm. response to that is the sound of male ego. You travel halfway <laughs> across the galaxy and it's still the same song. I've not laid a hand on you. Remember that. Oh, with the sound of male ego, you travel halfway across the galaxy and it's still the same song. That was fucking perfect. <laughs> I have not heard something. I, I didn't expect from 1960s Star Trek for a line that potent. To come out of the mouth of uh, of someone and it hit that hard. That was 1960s, man. Gene Roddenberry had it going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he seems a little annoyed at first, but he sits down and eats the food that she cooked. Uh, she suggests, because they're talking about uh, how the food tastes and that the pans were dirty and stuff. And he's like, well, you know, we can't get good, get good water here. So she suggests, well, why don't you just hang your pans out in the sand, in the, in the wind, and let the sand blast them clean. And he didn't think of that before, but he's like, oh, actually, you know, that's probably not a bad idea. He, sorry. He, so he goes out and hangs his pans outside like she suggested after eating. And when he comes back, she looks different. Uh, he, obviously, the, the, the drug wore off. And so he even asks her what happened. Um, <laughs> so my question for you, have you ever asked a woman that about her appearance? Why did it change or so and not get beat over it? <laughs> <laughs> I. Man, obviously, I, I keep going back and forth on this whole 1960s sexism thing and whether or not it was expected in the episode. Um, yeah, shit, dude. You don't you don't ask a woman that. <laughs> that's right. fucked up. That's that's messed up. You don't ask them their age. You don't ask them why their hair doesn't look good or why anything doesn't look good. Why it changed. Nothing like that. If they mentioned no. something, then you can politely say very positive things but you don't cut down a woman's appearance that's just that's a, a line you don't cross it's it goes both ways like i wake up in the morning and my wife doesn't say wow you look yeah this morning <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I, I she doesn't say that to me i don't say it to her i think love yeah. is a little bit stronger than just physical appearance anyway but yeah still. and for for me i don't really take pride in how i look i'm like whatever i'm a sack of potatoes uh, but I, you know, like to fix things or, you know, I 
I feel like I'm a little bit strong and carry heavy things. So, you know, I wouldn't tell my wife she's not pretty because she takes pride in her appearance, but I would expect her not to say, you know, oh, you, there's no way you could fix that. You're just too dumb. <laughs> or, you know, you can't lift that and, you know, get it in the truck because, you know, that would personally be a, a more of attack against me than my appearances. So, I don't know. In my experience, that's, that's how it works for me. I wouldn't care if she said, you know, hey, your, your beard is ugly <laughs> like you need to trim it like okay I'll, I'll trim it and you're the one that knows fashion better than i do but um yeah, yeah. Th this is gonna get a little heavy and this episode is a good episode to bring it up and there are different uh i just had the word i was gonna say in mind there are different standards for mm -hmm. men that than there are for women and that's mm -hmm. always unfortunately been the case it's still the case now and it's exemplified in this scene right yeah. here it it's 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 maddening it's disheartening but it yeah. happened so star trek showed it yeah and i like that they do that they don't sugarcoat it they don't hide things they show you know the the truth but they also show the hope for humanity and i like to think at least in our generation we're starting to see that change in you know predetermined like gender roles and what a man's supposed to do and what a woman's supposed to do and how they're supposed to look and i think we're starting to see that that's kind of opening up and crossing a little more and and not being so rigid. Yeah, man. People are people. Just you do your thing. They'll do their thing. And if you love someone enough, you'll get married. <laughs> that's just that's <laughs> that it is. That's how it is. Exactly. Okay. So after that, after his rude comment, she says, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> she says, I got tired of you. So I slumped. Uh, he gets upset. He gets upset with her, with her, you know, saying that being rude to, in his eyes. Uh, but just as he's getting upset, Kirk and Mud enter. And uh, I think that was where, where he said, I didn't lay a hand on her. And she says the you know, male ego and mud explains. So Kirk, you know, was bringing mud in, practically dragging him by his ear saying, Hey, you need to tell him what's going on. Uh, mud explains the Venus drug is what they call it. And which again, I like how we use, you know, earth planets as, or not earth, our solar systems, planets as names for different things. Uh, but he says that it increases what you have. So it's not necessarily making a fake person. It's not a hologram, but it, it kind of accentuates what you already have. So it makes women more curvy and men more, you know, masculine. Actually, you see, it's a relatively harmless drug. Harmless? Yeah. Uh, well, what it does is give you more of whatever you have. Well, with men, it makes them more muscular. Women, uh, round. Men more aggressive, women more feminine, and... He gave it to the women before you met them. Does that mean the others? They really look like she does? Mr. Childress, I... Is that what it means? Yes, that's what it means. Um, the chief feels cheated, though. He's like, you know, WTF. I thought I was getting this chick, and now she looks like this, and he, he's upset about it. Um, so Kirk says uh, his men, the other two other two men that were at their little shindig the other two minors i should say that they're already married the last night you know they were happy with their their matches so we went ahead and got their married off and they're with their brides right now and he's thinking like oh well so they're they're women of the same thing they were pretty last night and then this morning they probably you know look sickly and tired and older um so that that made him even more upset if you were him if you were, were chief childress what would you do at this point I, that's a really hard question to answer because I wouldn't be <laughs> in that situation to begin with. 
True. But true. I I would ask the the woman what she wants. What do you want to do? And that that's the only answer, right? Unless yeah. I'm just completely blind by. No, yeah, you're right. Because we're all looking at it as well. So it's up to him whether he's gonna accept her, whether she's pretty enough or not. Uh, but you're right. It should be, you know, if he is interested still in a relationship with this woman, then we need to turn it over to her. It's like, okay, are you interested? Because he seems like a shallow jerk. So, <laughs> you know, are you even willing to consider spending time with him and trying this out? I think either way, there needs to be an exit strategy for her if they, or, or him, I mean, if they don't like uh, how this pans out, but I don't think we lay any kind of exit strategy down. Um, but so after this, uh, Eve gets mad at him for being so shallow and uh, she takes the pills. She takes the, the ones that, that Harry brought and the men watch as she goes through this like transformation. And so this is the same kind of the same thing we saw earlier when the girls rushed to take the pills. Um, she's, she's beautiful again. She, uh, moves to seduce Childress, but he's, uh, not seduced because he realizes now that this is just a fake, that this is going to wear off when the pills wear off. So he calls her a fake pumped with drugs, but Kirk tells them that those pills were actually placebos. Those were fake pills. So in that moment, uh, it was her confidence that made her attractive. Her, you know, feeling with the placebo effect, realistically, like, she feels like she looks good, and so she walks with swagger, and you know she must have just straightened her hair with her hands, and uh, you know just just feeling good about yourself helps make you portray you know confidence and and look good. Um, so yeah, after this, she, she sits on his lap, and they they realize that the that the drugs were actually a placebo. So they talk about it, and and uh, Eve and Chief Childress are going to give it a shot. They asked, you know, Kirk asked, uh, what you guys want to do? Um, he's genuinely attracted to her and, you know, without, without the drugs. And she feels more attractive because she didn't take the drugs. She didn't need them to, to attract him. So it was kind of like that little trick with the placebo kind of benefited both of them. It showed that he isn't so shallow. He just likes a woman with confidence and she isn't so... Um, meek i guess she just needs to feel pretty to feel pretty she needs to feel attracted you know by other people um so it, it was a win-win uh though, <laughs> though we don't address how either of the other girls are doing they might have very different stories going on at the same time <laughs> uh but eve, eve tells kirk uh you because she had the little flirting scene with kirk so we have she's readdressing that that you know i'm sorry i'm not going to go with you i'm gonna stay with this guy uh, she says, you have someone up there called Enterprise, reminding Kirk that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay here with him and not not go back and, you know, potentially marry you because you're already married to your ship, uh, which um, Harry actually mentioned a while back, too, that captains are always married to their ship. Uh, so Chief uh, agrees to give Kirk the lithium crystals and then Kirk takes Harry with him and they they leave and we assume they grab the crystals and then head back to Enterprise. Uh, then we see the Enterprise, and it carries on its way to their next adventure. So that was a that was a pretty long stretch. Sorry if I bored you with my <laughs> my long recap at the end there. No, that was great. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like that that ending. I like that that late scene right there where she's they explain how the pills work, and she hurries up and takes them, and then it's kind of a took a little longer than I think it needed to to see the transition. That that, that scene just kind of dragged a little bit, but. Then 
she's all, you know, pretty and done up like before, you know, makeup and hair and all that stuff. And she goes and tries to flirt with him. But, you know, once they realize that the pills were fake, that, that kind of, that completely changes everything. It's like, did you ever need the pills? The, the pills were probably having some kind of pheromone effect or neurological effect or something like that. Cause everybody on Enterprise was tripping over themselves when these ladies would walk by. But without those pills, her natural self being, you know, motivated and, and feeling positive because she thinks she is pretty, that's all it takes. It takes just a little encouragement to bring out a more confident version of herself that is more attractive to Chief Childress. Um, so I think that was really an interesting, a, a good way to, to portray it. I liked it. Yeah. It, it's it, like the rest of Star Trek. It's a bit heavy handed, I think with how it's trying to portray the, the moral of the story, but no, you, you're absolutely right. It's her realizing that she didn't need something that made her look beautiful to look beautiful and to have the self-confidence, the, the, the motivation to be able to, to think of herself as better than just some ugly person, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And to make you really think about what's more important, if it's inner beauty and outer beauty, it's very on the nose, like Star Trek is wont to be, but it was a very good way of portraying that lesson, I think. And there was one line in here that Spock said, uh, when Kirk and Spock were looking at the, the cracked dilithium, or sorry, the cracked lithium crystal, Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock says, "Even cracked, they're beautiful," and I think that that was supposed to be uh, oh, kind some of foreshadowing. A, yeah, a for, some foreshadowing as ah. to what's going to happen later on in the episode. I I thought that was not only a beautiful line from Spock, but yeah, very telling of what the episode was trying to say. I didn't catch that, but that is a good one. That is interesting. Hmm. So I did like uh, they didn't do much special effects in this. The only thing I saw, I think, was the like a shimmer from the Venus drug when they first showed it. Um, other than that, they did do really good like lighting, though. They did a lot of posing with the ladies and they had to set scenes up to try to make them look like, you know, runway models for pretty much every scene they were in, which was pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't think we had any any uh, special effects. I did like the crystals that they used for the lithium crystals too, though. They looked, they, they looked believable. They weren't just like a, a chunk of rubber. <laughs> right. Yeah. It looked like an actual crystal rather than, yeah. Which I'm, I mean, a Paper crystal shade. that large has to be pretty expensive. I doubt they would, well, maybe, maybe they, maybe they got real crystals for, for the scene. Um, yeah. I like that you noted uh, the, the different, the relations to the names of things in this episode and our own solar system. I didn't even make, I, I didn't pay attention to that at all. I thought that yeah. was a really cool uh, cool trick that they did. Yeah, they have a Venus drug, and then uh, Eve refers to the way the guy's looking at her as a Cetarian harem girl or something like that, harem girl. Oh, yeah, that's pretty, that pretty interesting. I like how they, they do that. I mean, it, it, they could name it anything, but especially in the early, this you know first space show that is so popular. Well, one of the first. Uh, and nobody knows any of this space jargon so it's good to use terms that they could at least recognize yeah and i like that we introduced harry mudd in this because you know we know in later episodes he's a reoccurring character and he's just a fun kind of bandit anyways so i like that i like that he's established here and they continue to carry that character on i wonder though i wonder when they wrote this episode if they had already intended on him being a long-term character or if 
it was the success maybe of this episode and his role, his acting that uh, convinced them to write him into future scripts. Oh man, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that at all, but yeah, after this episode, I'm glad that he comes back. He's a, a, a goofy villain and Star Trek needs those. Yeah. Like a liquidator brunt <laughs> from <laughs> deep space nine. <laughs> Just a goofy villain. All right. Uh, so what was your moral or message to the story in this one? Uh, pretty much exactly what Spock said that even cracked their beautiful. Uh, it goes to the inner beauty, outer beauty mm-hmm. conundrum that people seem to still somehow have uh, a trouble, a hard time trying to decide what's more important to them. Mm-hmm. And the self-confidence is really what you need to be able to portray yourself to your best abilities in life, I think. Yeah. Like I know me when I'm feeling down, my shoulders are kind of hunched over. Like when I'm sitting down right now, I'm kind of, I, I look meek and meager, but then when I think about it, I get all self-confident. My, my shoulders are up. My chest is puffed. I am man. <laughs> hear me roar, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> self-confidence means a lot. Yeah. I like it. And, and like you're saying, like even cracked, they're beautiful. Like everybody has flaws. Everybody has cracks. So, you know, we have to recognize that, not assume, not, not paint an image of in our head of what a perfect person or perfect wife, you know, would look like or, or be like, because that doesn't exist. We create that in social media and stuff all the time now and, you know, billboards and whatnot, but that, that really just doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a perfect person. There's a perfect person for you, but that person has flaws just like you do and everyone does. So we have to try to keep that in mind when we're judging other people. Could uh, have said it better myself. Yeah. My moral was uh, confidence, intelligence, and moral fortitude, uh, and inner strength and beauty. Uh, our inner strength, our beauty, um, superficial beauty is hollow and short-lived. Everybody's going to get old. So, if you like a pretty face, it's going to get wrinkly. So, just <laughs> embrace yourself. Yeah. Try to find somebody who makes you a better you. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I got. Do you have any other notes for the episode? Nope, I think that we've just about covered it. All right. Uh, Thank you all for joining us on this adventure. If you liked it, uh, make sure to subscribe and follow us. You can check out the Geek Freaks podcast website at thegeekfreakspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please send us questions. The questions we do at the beginning of the episode, we would love to ask your questions. Um, Or if you have any questions about us or how we do the episode, we'll also respond to you on that. Uh, And join us next week for season one, episode seven, which is what little girls are made of. Until next time, transporter room, two to beam up.